0: Ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Range is hot.
1: Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew.
0: Okay, welcome to the Gun Rack Sonora Desert Institute School of Fire no, Signal's official podcast. I'm Josiah Uppercoats, oh, call me Joey, and with me we have one Through Poplin. Drew Poplin, and we are rolling in it today. We're about to have Constitution Day, which means for I mean, it means a lot of things, but for what it means Drew gets a day off that I don't, which is always fun. Uh, is that Monday? Is Monday Constitution Day? I don't think I have the day off. Really? I don't think so. I'll have to double check. Oh, wait. I thought SDI into Constitution Day. off. Dang it. Okay. I've been out of the loop for a while. You know, maybe they weeks. did back in the day. In two weeks, I will have been away from SDI in a full-time capacity for a full year. And that's all I feel like. Yeah, I'm saying though. No. So uh, we've got a pretty good topic for you guys uh, this week. We'll be talking about Constitution Day quite a bit. And I've got some fun little side sources of that i can share with you we do have something very important to cover before we do that though how often do you think about the
1: roman empire are you asking me because you could you will yes, be the, the audience i was you'll be the fourth person that's asked me that in a span of like 30 hours yeah apparently this there's this trend that's going on on tiktok and Basically, it's like, ladies, how often does your man think about the Roman Empire? And so I don't know if you've heard this or you've been asked this yet, but I've had. I a... have. That's, I was, you got me rolling a
0: little bit when I saw this in the show notes. I had Sarah, our friend Sarah Wilson, mm-hmm. send me a message and say, hey, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And it doesn't quite work for me the same as it does. Like I listen to a podcast about the Roman Empire like all the way through, and then I just start over and over and over again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So like, I'm probably not the right person to ask that because uh, the answer is probably 10 to 15 times a day. It's a really Mike Duncan's History of Rome though is one of the best podcasts that's ever made. If you're yeah. interested in some really good history podcast, that's a good one. Yeah, um, need to check that out. Yeah, and what's actually fun is I work in a museum now. Uh, it's just that to a certain extent you are playing with lots of different departments and you're going out and you're meeting people and there's all sorts of interesting dynamics that you just don't get when you work at a trade school, right? It's just a uh, totally different, they're education related, but they're sufficiently separate that it's, a, a lot of the skills are not, what's the word? Not, there's not a lot of process, isn't there? Um, and... So I've been listening to a bunch of like Flavian Roman Empire podcast episodes, trying to glean some insight onto how to navigate the situations I occasionally find myself in here. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, like, it didn't occur to me, like I did it on purpose, but it didn't occur to me that that was a weird thing to do until I had someone text me and say, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And I was like, oh no, I'm a little too into the Roman Empire, aren't
1: I? Um, (laughs) How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Uh, probably about once a week. Uh, once a week. Yeah, I, you know, doing this series on uh, the Southern battles of the American Revolution, my thought process is sort of shifted more to that time period. But I still, yeah, I mean, I'd say once a week is a pretty good estimate. Of, yeah, but it like it's weird because there's so many aspects of the Roman Empire that are still relevant today so it's kind of hard not to think about it like i mean you got the aqueducts Um, we do i don't understand how people back then figured out plumbing how they figured out uh making a concrete mix that is better than anything we have today like we don't know how to make the concrete they made and like it would repair itself that's wild so it's not even just like necessarily like military history of rome um, no that's actually in a lot of ways that's the least interesting
0: part for sure um, and it by itself is compelling but um, there is so much you can learn from the classics and if you don't think about the Roman Empire maybe consider thinking about the Roman Empire just a little bit
1: Yep, just a little bit today but you, know, if you're listening to this on Sunday you should be thinking about the Constitution of America yeah, darn right you shouldn't. Forget Rome. Yeah. So one day a year you don't get
0: to think about Rome. <laughs> Rome machine broke. Um, and the guy that fixed it won't be until, until one day. So uh, Constitution Day here in the United States is, of course, a day that we uh, mark and celebrate the signing of the United States Constitution. Uh, many years ago now, I think it was four full years ago just baffling to think about. We did a podcast episode where we recorded the entirety of the constitution in a one take. It is definitely very early Joey recording. It's not high quality and doing it again and not worrying about the one take is something that maybe we should do at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have all of the amendments in a separate episode and the constitution is like Can I just jump into some... Am I going to be... Yeah, go all those in here. Okay. Uh, The Constitution is the second primary governing document, excuse me, uh, something resembling a central government here in the United States. The first one is the Articles of Confederation, or are the Articles of Confederation, I suppose. And the trick with the Articles of Confederation is that they were very compelling, ideologically pursuant to the state's wishes when they, uh, decided to declare independence from Great Britain. Um, each of these states was operating as a semi-sovereign unit, um, many of which had their Hmm. own currency. uh, and, uh, we basically, uh, when you think of a, like a European confederation, you have a, a bunch of countries. Mm-hmm. that are operating occasionally in conjunction, but frequently at loggerheads with one another. The best comparison I can think of is the German, uh, the all of the states that came to comprise Germany before the- like Bavaria. and stuff. they were the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, um, right in that space is, is what we we're looking at. And so what that means essentially is that you have all these states that have a fair amount of power, and you have a central government that has almost literally none. And while some people might be excited about that, um, that, you know that's not really the side of thing I'm trying to dive into, but there are, just from a logistical standpoint, I won't go into political opining just so we don't uh, fall off the trail here. If you give an entity, any entity, it could be a small business, it can be a, a department in that business, it could be a single dude, an assignment, a set of responsibilities, and then do not give him or her any sort of resources to accomplish that mandate, you are going to get either no realization of that mandate or a very poor realization of that mandate or a genius. Uh, those those are your options. And when you get a large scale of operating uh, a nation, even a, a low-authority nation like the uh, United States of America were at that time. It's just not possible. With it, it just was not possible. So, these thirteen states were capable of ruling themselves functionally. Uh, there was a one-house body of delegates in which each state has a vote, which is to say, very similar to our current Senate. Actually, uh, no executive power. Which, yeah, a sore spot for us historically. However. Any legislation required a supermajority; nine of the states had to agree to it, which is hard to do. Any amendments had to be unanimous, and it's anything that they were uh, it, that required resources to do. They did not have the ability to secure those resources. They did not have the authorization to tax, and they could create currency themselves no one would respect it uh, actually the use of british pounds post uh britain was very very common because it had a standard do it and uh the central government did not and the so to counter this right congress says okay states we can't raise money therefore you need to raise money uh, to make any of this work on any level and told them said yes and Rhode Island said no, and you had to have all 13 say yes to get something to roll. And uh, for those of my American historian homies out there, uh, you probably already know uh, what was the, the first state to secede from Great Britain. It was Rhode Island. See, it was the last one to ratify the Constitution of the United States. It was Rhode Island. They have always been this way.
1: This is just what they do. I'm not sure whether to be frustrated with them or just respect them for their like the sheer individualism.
0: No, they roll somewhere between radical libertarian and radical liberal. Uh, and it's it's a very interesting their Rhode Island state history as it goes to power politics is fascinating stuff. But anyway, Congress doesn't have the means to secure revenue. They don't have the means to enforce revenue from states. Uh, so, they're just... They exist. But they're mostly just a building in which states meet and then don't agree on the things. Um, so, let's get into Shays Rebellion very quickly. The Revolutionary War ends and there is the issue of paying our uh, soldiers and also paying people from whom we cook stuff. Uh, and... Additionally, paying off uh, British folks whose stuff we took, which actually was a part of our agreement there to close out the war, that's in our treaty, um, is that British people have to be given some sort of reparation for all this stuff that's been taken from them. So there's a lot of debt, and inexplicably, the thing that countries do almost invariably when there's not enough money to go around is not pay the soldiers. Um So farmers were going out fighting in the American revolution and coming back to foreclosed homes and they could not pay off a foreclosure or they could not stave off a foreclosure, excuse me, Um, more likely because the United States didn't pay them like they were supposed to. Um, It'd be like the bank foreclosing on your mortgage because the person you contracted or, you contracted with to build their DAC never bothered to pay like it's it's just a miserable situation to be in right Congress can't do anything Massachusetts doesn't do anything and in fact John Hancock goes into hiding briefly just so that his hands aren't dirtied with the political smudge that he knows is coming this way
1: well he needed those hands to write his signature that big he needed to do that that showed a lot of foresight absolutely he did so
0: Daniel Shays organizes a force of approximately 1,200 to attack a federal arsenal in Springfield, Massachusetts in 1787. They were unsuccessful, uh, but they were not unsuccessful because of anything that the central government did, uh, which was concerning. Uh, So we now have a central government that A, cannot pay its soldiers, and B, cannot defend itself from uh, marauders as then you know no matter how principled these marauders happen to be Mm -hmm. Uh, and once you have that it's i think it's fair to recognize that this is just not an effective uh agreement that everyone has has signed on to so that's our our preface there was a meeting in annapolis maryland to try to take care of this um that was unsuccessful and afterwards uh, congress decided to meet in philadelphia
1: yeah so we finally get to the summer of 1787 and this band of delegates uh they meet in philadelphia to discuss revisions initially to the articles of confederation so each states that their delegates to philadelphia but funny enough as you can imagine no one really arrived at the same time there was a lot of waiting early on if i remember correctly i think it was like the pennsylvania and the virginia delegates were there or maybe it's the Pennsylvania and Massachusetts delegates. They were there just kind of waiting for everyone to show up until they had enough people to have a quorum. Once enough people arrived, one of the first items of business was, okay, well, who's going to lead these proceedings? Well, why not the man in uniform? Why not George Washington? I mean, after all, he you know, he did show up in military uniform, and he was asked to uh, to attend, and hey, that's a really good role for him to to serve, I guess, during these meetings. Other famous figures were there. James Madison, who would go on to be called the father of the Constitution. Uh, You had Alexander Hamilton, who had a musical made after him. And Benjamin Franklin, who I think should have a musical made about him, if you ask me. Yes. Uh, But eventually, everyone else just sort of funneled in. Well, that is, everyone except the delegates from Rhode Island, and that was because they just didn't really send anyone to the constitutional convention yeah so it soon became clear that this convention would not just would not involve just a reworking of the articles of confederation but the creation of a whole new system of government so you know they got to work after all there was a lot of stuff that they needed to hash out one of the major issues was balancing large versus small states interests so you had uh Um, a representative from Virginia, the plan would be called the Virginia plan. But basically they proposed, hey, you know, we don't think it's fair that everyone has the same amount of representatives because you have some states that are a lot smaller, and so we think some of these bigger states, we should have more representation because we have more population and we bring more wealth. Of course, the smaller states were not a fan of this, and they proposed the New Jersey plan, which was Something more in line with what the Articles of Confederation were, with equal representation. Eventually, uh, there was a compromise called the Connecticut or the Great Compromise. Basically, it proposed a bicameral legislature with uh, the proportional representation, like you'd see in the Virginia Plan, in the lower house, or, um, so the House of Representatives, and then you'd have equal representation of the states in the upper house, aka the Senate. What you smiling about? I'm the Senate. You are the Senate? I am the Senate. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Um, And then all revenue measures would originate in the lower house of the House of Representatives. Then they also established term limits for each of these houses, and that compromise was approved on July 16th. One of the other things that would happen was they figured out the three branches of government that we have today, the judicial branch, the legislative branch, and executive branch which is, you know, I'm sure that's when you learn about the constitutional convention in school, if you learned about it, a lot of the talks you heard was centered around, you know, the formation of these branches of government. But another hot button issue was the issue of slavery. Now, this wasn't so much whether slavery should exist or should it not, but more so how much the slave population would contribute to a state's representation on a governmental level. So, let's take Virginia for example. Virginia, it was a state that had a lot of slaves. Theoretically, that meant they had a higher population, and if representation was based on population, then the state would have a greater number of representatives in the house. So, eventually, there's a lot of debate back and forth. Eventually, they decided that for every five enslaved persons, three of them would be counted for representation and tax purposes. In addition, they agreed to something called the slave trade compromise, which basically prohibited Congress from banning the Atlantic slave trade before eighteen oh eight. Um just side note, all these meetings and stuff happened behind locked doors and you know guarded it was guarded pretty heavily. The delegates felt it was necessary. I found it a little bit eyebrow raising, but I digress. So the Constitution was now complete. But now came the really hard part, which was getting everyone to vote for it. So, on September 17th, 1787, at the Constitution's convention's conclusion, 39 of the 55 delegates signed the new Constitution. However, the founding fathers decided that in order for the Constitution to become official, nine of the 13 states had to ratify it, which, fair enough. This led to intense debates back and forth, uh, both in favor of the Constitution and against it. So you had the Federalists that were in favor of the Constitution and the Anti-Federalists who didn't want to vote yes on it. So the thing is, both sides, we can assume both sides wanted to still maintain the liberty and freedom, but the Federalists, they believed that a strong central government was not only helpful, but it was vital to, you know, America's chances at success. There's the famous quote of a more perfect union, unquote. And then on the other side, you had the anti-federalists who were worried that the Constitution as it was would just end up creating another tyrant. In order to convince the different voters that the Constitution should be approved, you had Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison write a bunch of essays. And these would be published oftentimes in the you know newspapers. They'd go on to be called the Federalist Papers, basically defending the Constitution. Ultimately, this would work. However, the Anti-Federalists still had one more concern, and their fear was that without a Bill of Rights in place, that the rights of the individual would uh, be trampled upon. So, yeah, you know, Federalists were essentially like, yeah, that's fair enough. We totally get that. You approve this Constitution, and when the new Congress meets, a Bill of Rights will be one of the first things that we'll address. And that was good enough for them. So, the bill of rights would be proposed in 1789 the constitution would officially be ratified in 1790 and then the following year in 1791 the bill of rights would be ratified as well and that's how we got the constitution folks um yes sir yeah joey do you just want to add a couple closing thoughts yeah maybe some musings yeah so i'll give you
0: a very brief one um the Constitution is not a perfect document, and I know that's an uh, unpleasant thing to say about as long as the 3 compromise was ever buried in it, I think it's a pretty easy argument to make. But what it did do was create a framework for a government that does have effective checks and balances and a way to write roles um, that it would inevitably create as partially as a product of their time period and partially as a product of the men that were in that room. Um, It is one of the, uh, I mean, in terms of political documents, we're talking about the declaration of the rights of man and of the citizen, I think I said that correctly, which is French. We're talking about the Magna Carta, which is English and very, very, very old now. And we're talking about the constitution. And the of the united states of america with its amendments in terms of uh profound documents with significant impact on the western world so it's a weird thing a lot of people think to have a day dedicated to that thought but imagine the world in which we live if this uh was not created to impact our our lives here as americans In this uh, better myself sir
1: all right yeah this has been a bit of a bridged episode but kind of necessary and uh, we want you guys to go off and enjoy your constitution day or whenever you're listening to this yes sir that is the have fun out there
0: happy constitution day and we will see you at the range
1: sonoran desert institute is an online school accredited by the deac it is headquartered at 1555 west university drive in tempe arizona For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.